Thank you for your singing tonight. I'd like us to pray in just a moment, but in uh, just a note of rejoicing this morning, but also of sorrow. Um, happy news for Alicia, our daughter, and Drew Martin as they were engaged to be married on her birthday, Friday. So congratulations to you all. And um, just as a matter of grief and mourning together, I don't know where Brian and Brenda are. Brenda's brother Roger passed away suddenly in the last, was that Friday? Friday as well. So very sorry to hear that news, Brenda. So as we pray, I'd also like us to, so to remember Brenda's family and Roger had a family, I'm assuming. Yeah, okay as well as Jonathan and Brittany and all those working closely with, uh, as we have the two weeks, over the next two weeks, that as we have much to do, just that we have patience and love for each other and get all that we need done. It's it's been neat to see, even in the office, um, Brittany and Josh Marie working on so many aspects uh, of the GA, but I want to remember them because it's, it's coming, and so we, let's, let's go to the throne of grace one more time. Our Father, we confess that when we sing a song like facing a task unfinished, and to know that our work is yet undone, that it's, it could be wearying, but we know that you said to us, as you said to the Apostle Paul, that your grace is sufficient for us. So please give us the grace to rely upon your grace and not upon ourselves, but upon you who raised the dead. This is our prayer. We do thank you for the news for Drew and Alicia, and we do rejoice with them tonight. And we want to pray for Brenda and her brother Roger's family with this sudden passing on Friday, praying that you would use Brian and Brenda and their witness, their love, their comfort to Roger's family in the coming weeks, that you would use, uh, you would redeem this for good. So we pray for grace for Brenda's family. And Lord, we want to remember Josh, uh, Josh Marie, of course, and for Jonathan and Brittany, for all the team leads for the General Assembly. We remember Chris Weiss, who, who does such a wonderful job with the network. And we ask for all the team leads, every worker, for all those traveling here, the speakers, we pray for grace as we look towards um, the next couple of weeks from now. So we pray Two, that we would unselfishly extend hospitality, that we would work well together and be patient, Lord, with each other. And we pray that even as no doubt there'll be some that will want to come in the next two weeks, that we find a way where we can to accommodate them. So we ask for that. And we pray that our focus would be at finishing a task that is yet unfinished. And we pray that we would be about making your son known to the, the ends of the earth. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Well, last Lord's Day morning, I introduced what we can call the essential series. So, you know, something that's essential is not optional. It's necessary. And so when we answer the why, the what, or the how, we answer the why, the what, and the how naturally follow. And we discussed that last week in case you weren't here. And it's understandable, and we ought to ask, why do we exist as a church? Why do we gather? What are we about? And to answer the why we gather is to address the essentials of our gathering. And as you know, every year or every other year, we're going to seek to take a few Sundays, maybe a number of Sundays, and answer these questions. In fact, next week, next Lord's Day morning, we'll look at the church as a worshiping community. And when we can affirm publicly why we gather, then the what and how, the, very, the particulars of our gathering are answered more easily. So this, tonight, our subject again is the gospel. And this is the second part of a two-part message over two weeks. And just before I give you simple six points of review from last week, I'd like us to hear about 20 verses on some gospel texts that relate to the gospel. So first, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read those first 12 verses. Paul, an apostle not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul comes out fighting. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, anathema, that is, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 4 and verses 7 through 12. The lame beggar has been healed, and the religious leaders are wondering basically wanting the apostles to give an account for what's happened. So I'll begin in verse 7 of Acts chapter 4. 
It said, and when they had set them in the midst, that is, John or Peter, right? Probably if you look there, we're not exactly sure it's Peter who will speak. It says, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then finally, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We'll look at verses 14 through 17. And I'll make reference to each of these in our message. Romans Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and here he quotes from Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Three passages. There are many more, of course. Last week we looked at Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 15. There's many texts that we could appeal to. But at the end of the day, the gospel is like that little boy that was in the school play and he was the angel. And he had been the t- given the task of appearing, and he had that great line, some of you know it, from Luke 2. As Luke tells the story, what happened in the birth narrative, and he had prepared for months and months working on his line, as this was the angel that the Lord appeared to there in Luke 2, 9. And the director was there, and the great moment came when you know what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to, Luke 2, 10, give that great line, fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And it goes on, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But all of a sudden, his brain froze, and he couldn't remember anything of the line that he had. And he looked at the director, and the director was trying to mouth the words, but he couldn't remember Luke 10 at all. And he just shouted out to everybody. He said, everybody, listen up. I've got great news. And that's what the gospel is. Even if you can't remember If you're a little boy in a school play, Luke 2.10, your line, that's what it is. The gospel is simply good news. And we work all the time of communicating this as a church because it's central. It's not peripheral. It's central. It's essential 
to why we gather. So last week we saw that the gospel is a Trinitarian gospel. I'm going to give you these quickly by way of review. The gospel is a message from the whole Trinity about how all the members of the Trinity have a role in saving a people for God's own possession. The Father elects, the Son redeems, and the Spirit enlivens. He gives life. He takes dead sinners like you and I were before we came to faith in Christ. And he takes out this heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He puts his spirit within us and writes his law not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. And so the gospel is a Trinitarian gospel. It's why at the end of 2 Corinthians, and a beautiful expression of this in the benediction of 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we read the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so the first dimension, the first characteristic of the gospel is that the gospel is a Trinitarian gospel. Secondly, the gospel is a gospel that's centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so to get the gospel is to receive a gospel where we behold the person and work of Jesus as God's only sufficient answer, the only remedy to the very serious sin problem that you and I have. Now, you know what this is like. Sometimes you're sick and you don't know it. But the Bible seeks to inform us to say, no, apart from Jesus Christ, we're in a very desperate situation. And only the Spirit really through the Word and the preaching of the Word can communicate that. But the point of that then is to not leave us in the bad news, but to bring us to the good news of Jesus, the crucified and risen Son of God, given on behalf of of sinners to atone and to satisfy the justice of God. And so at the cross then, in this gospel that's centered upon the person and work of Jesus, we say God's justice and his mercy meet. There's a third dimension, that is the gospel is a preached gospel. At the end of the day, the gospel must be preached. I said, it's nice, you know, sometimes there's this saying, You know, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Uh, Wait, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) To preach the gospel will require words. Our life is the support for our witness, but it's not a substitute, right? And so at the end of the day, we've got, with God's help, to open our mouths and give the good news of the gospel in all, all its dimensions of a God who made us but against whom we rebelled, and our awful need, the sense that we're completely corrupt, we're not as bad as we could be, but every square inch, every cubic inch of us is corrupted. Our mind, the way we think, our effect, our heart, our affections, our will, the way we choose and desire what we desire, all of it has been corrupted by sin. And so we have a legal liability before God. We have a moral problem, we're corrupt, and we're enslaved in sin. Whoever commits sin, we read, is the slave of sin. 
And so we must preach this. Preaching of the gospel was the pattern and the work of the apostles, and it's to continue in our day until he comes. Paul's cry was this, woe to me if I preach, if I do not preach the gospel. But fourthly there, we see that the gospel is committed to writing. Not only was it preached and passed on orally, but we have something more certain. We have the gospel committed to writing. That's why we speak of the scriptures from the word graphe. We see there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. That is, the, the way, the origin of scripture is that God, in this duality of God and man, has breathed out, even through human instrumentality, through particular personality and training and background and cultural context and presenting need, his word that's preserved for us. So we have a gospel committed to writing. We have the scriptures preserved. Two Testaments, 66 books written by many authors over maybe 15 centuries. But we also have a foretold gospel. And all through time and the Old Testament, God is making these predictive prepayments on his plan of redemption. He foretells his own good news. In fact, in Genesis 3.15, in the form of a curse to the serpent, who Edward Young believes was simply Satan in a body, there is this first gospel promise that though Satan, all right, would bruise the seed of the woman's heel, it would be the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. Then in Genesis 12, 3, in that program of blessing where God tells Abram, the pagan, way east of where he'd end up in Paddan Aram, he says, in you shall all the nations be blessed, or in you shall all the nations of the world bless themselves. Paul then says in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9, that in that saying, in that expression, God is actually preaching the gospel. That's good news for you and me. But there's a sixth thing, and that is it's, we have a, in the gospel a gospel which has power to save. It's obvious, you might say, it's the point of the title of this sermon. It was the verse, those verses in Romans chapter 1, just unmistakable in their weight. What gripped Luther's heart and in, part, and in part lit the fire of the Reformation. When he read, when he got, when he looked, and he opened, and he put his finger on this, where Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And if you think about this, when you take the whole of Romans 1, he's saying he was set apart. He's warming up to this. Listen to what he says. He was set apart for the gospel in verse 1. By He says there in verse 8, that with his spirit he serves the gospel of his son. In verse 15, he said he was eager to preach the gospel also to those of you who are in Rome. And here's why, with this explanatory little word for. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I was set apart for it. I serve God in the gospel of his son. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And here's why. I'm not ashamed of it. And why wasn't he ashamed of it? Because he said, it is the power. 
It's effective to change the lives of men and women and children no matter where they hear that good word. Everything that Paul and the the other apostles wrote and preached about the gospel points to a powerful gospel. It's not theoretical. It's not happenstance. It's not rumor. It's not simply hear new. It's radical, real, effective, good news. It's truly saving good news that we can count on. In a world where at times you think that's too, that's too good to be true. You ever find that? You think that's too good to be true and it's not? You go someplace looking for a good deal and it's like it's expired or this special, we don't have that anymore. You missed it by a day, not with the gospel. It's truly saving good news. It's the powerful message. It's God's instrument. Listen to this. To not only bring us to himself initially in regeneration and conversion, but to bring us to himself every day after our initial conversion for the rest of our lives. It's that good news that we've got to preach to ourselves. Tomorrow morning, when we wake up and we get in the heat and the crucible of the day, and though we've prayed against besetting sin and we struggle, it doesn't matter if it's irritation or impatience or anger or, the, or deceit. It doesn't matter, fill it up, fill, you fill in the blank. We need that gospel. And so it's not just a gospel for conversion, but it's, it's a gospel for consecration of the entire Christian life as God gives himself to us with all the life and the light of the promises of God that Paul says are yea and amen in Christ. Well, this week, just briefly, I want us to see that the gospel is a gospel worth defending, all right? And we looked at that. Just turn. I'm going to point this out if you'll turn back to Galatians 1. Just four points. The gospel is a gospel worth defending. You see this in Paul's defense here of the gospel. Whereas some of the other letters of Paul seek to exposit the gospel, here is Paul defending the gospel. He's rising up. It's even the reason he says in chapter 2, in verse 11, it was on account of the threat to the gospel that he opposed Cephas to his face when he came to Antioch. Because he said by, his, by his, the posture he was taking, he said he stood condemned. And because the gospel is God's, because the gospel is a Trinitarian gospel, because it's centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, because the gospel was the content of the apostles' preaching and the very focus of their ministry, because the gospel was not only committed to writing and preserved for us in the canon of Scripture, and because the gospels gave us, or the apostles gave us, a precedence by defending the gospel we may say to this very day that the gospel is a gospel worth defending. That's what's being communicated in part in Galatians chapter 1. That's why he appeals in his greeting to say, look, my apostleship is not from me. It's not from anyone else. It's from God 
alone, the, the Father who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say, I can't believe there's no niceties. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. As though there's really no other gospel. Where there's the authentic and real gospel, what we would characterize as counterfeit gospels, Paul says, don't even do it the service of putting gospel to it. And to those that would preach a gospel that's contrary to the one he says that I gave you, anathema, let that person be accursed. Because he says in verse 11, it wasn't man's gospel. It was God's gospel. It's why Jude wrote in Jude 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, hmm, reprioritizing of his letter, he said, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What is that faith? Well, you find the expression, the faith of the gospel in Philippians 1.27. And so when Jude says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, it is akin to saying, contend for the gospel that was preached by our Lord Jesus, Matthew 4, 23, when Matthew says he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and it is that gospel that the apostles were preaching in the book of Acts. It is that uh, gospel that we find in the, read, in the writings of Paul and Peter and James and John and Jude. The gospel is a gospel worth defending. But secondly tonight, I want us to see that the gospel is the exclusive agent to save, to bring or produce faith. It's the exclusive agent to save. There's no, there's no alternative. Do you know when you go and you need medicine and it's really, really expensive and you ask about a what? Generic. And they say what? There is none. There's no generic for the gospel. That's it. There's no other solution, no other good news than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would like to suggest tonight, I think the reason we are so little moved by the plight of those who are apart from Christ and who are lost is that has not gripped us. In every other area, we would get it. We all know that when someone is drowning in a rip current, that you better find a way, there's a technique to get them out of that rip current or they're going to die. If someone is in a burning house, we, and there's only one way out, we are quick to figure out, can we rescue them as quickly as possible they, so they don't die of smoke insulation or burns, and we get them out. And there's none of us that would typically hesitate to think about what can we do in that moment, where, whether we rush in or we dial 911. But I think because we give so little contemplation to the exclusivity of the gospel as God's only agent to save and bring and produce faith, we tend to sit on our hands. It's this gospel, it's the only gospel of the kingdom 
that Jesus did preach there in Matthew 4.23. It's the only one field that holds the hidden treasure that symbolized the gospel of the kingdom in the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13.44. So when you, when you see Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like, he's connecting that then to the gospel and the priority of the gospel is what we need to preach. There's only one field that holds that hidden treasure. There's only one pearl of great value that symbolized the gospel of the kingdom in that parable of the pearl of great value in Matthew 13. And as Brian Smith preached for us last Lord's Day, Jesus told the disciples that he was the way and the truth and the life, not a way and a truth and a life, one among many options, but the exclusive way to a relationship with the Father. So the gospel of the Son, who claims he is the exclusive way, the way, not a way, the truth, not a truth, the life, not a life, is the only way and the only road for salvation. So kids, let me say this. When you think I want to be saved because I don't want to be lost and I don't want to die and go to hell, I want to be with God. I want to know him. I want my sins forgiven. I want a new heart. What you need is the gospel. And that's from the inside out. We can't wash you up and put you in a nice dress or skirt or suit or tie or anything and get you a great haircut or do anything on the outside of you that the gospel will need to do on the inside of you. The gospel's designed to take us in all our dirtiness and all our blackness and deal with us from the inside out. Do you remember Peter's words to the religious leaders in Jerusalem? In Acts 4, this is what he said. There's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They were like, how did this lame beggar get healed? And he took their amazement over that to give them this exclusive word that the gospel is God's only agent to save, to bring, and to produce faith. How about Paul in Romans 10? Listen as I reread these verses, and I'm going to paraphrase this to step you up step by step if you think about this. Paul is saying if they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But here's the rub. They will only call on him if they believed. And here's a further rub. They will only believe in him if they've heard of him. There's a further issue. They'll only hear of him if someone preaches the Son and his cross to them. And to go further, they will only preach if they are sent. So what do we find in Romans 10, 15? We find Paul quoting our call to worship from Isaiah 52, 7 to reference those who are sent with the glad tidings of the gospel of God's exclusive way to him, and that's this. How beautiful are the feet 
of those who preach the good news. So not only, as we've seen tonight, is the gospel worth a gospel worth defending, not only is it the exclusive way of salvation to bring and to produce faith, it's a gospel for the whole world. We just simply can't keep it to ourselves. And in some ways, we tend to live this way that we hold back at times. It's like giving when we give if we think, can I give myself to the point of poverty? And the truth is you can't, really, because you can't outgive God, okay? And so if I, what if I might be giving the gospel um, to the next Amy Carmichael or to the next Charles Haddon Spurgeon or to, to the, you know, to the next you fill in the blank William Carey? We cannot keep it to ourselves. Like someone who finds something so good, so valuable, like some of you do, so life-changing, you just naturally and instinctively, you cannot help yourself from sharing and telling everyone around you what is so great that you found. May God help us do that with his word. In a natural way, because we're so filled with love for God, And we're so filled with love for our neighbor that we want to give them the one thing that they need above all else. It's why we're told in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission to make disciples of all the nations. Could you imagine if you had opened your Bible and said, make disciples of some of the nations? What would you have thought? It's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The commission in Mark 16, 15 is similar. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Every nation, every people group, every ethno-linguistic group that's identifiable must hear the gospel. And we're part of the, the, the we're part of a great gathering who are charged to do this. If not us, then who? And so I want to give a charge to you moms and dads during the GA, bring, come as a family, and hear our speakers Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Dr. Steve Pettit, Dr. Joey Piper, Dr. Vody Bacham. And have your heart stirred about how we can think and go either holding the rope or being on the end of the rope, praying and giving because we believe the gospel is a gospel for the whole world. Have you ever thought about in Revelation 5, 8, and 9, it is a weeping but relieved John the apostle who records the scene of a son who is actually the one who is found worthy to open the scroll and break its seals And in consequence of that, it appears that a new song was written or sung on the spot, we're told. And there are the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And this is how John records the scene, Revelation 5.8. He said, when he had taken the scroll, right, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, which tells us something, by the way, of how we're going to bring the gospel to the whole world. And it says, they sang a new song, saying, or singing, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so, brothers and sisters, tonight, because God has ransomed men and women and children from every corner of humanity with the costly blood of his son, we may affirm. And our missions must reflect, not just in conviction, but in practice, that this gospel is a gospel for the whole world. And so in two months, when Cheryl and I go to visit Craig and Atacook in Behar, Spain, and when we begin to raise the awareness more in these next two months of their need for a new vehicle so that they can run around in West Central Spain faithfully bringing the gospel to some of those who are contemplated in Revelation 5, 8 through 10. May God move our hearts to give and to pray for this dear couple who've been doing this for more than a third of a century. Lastly, the gospel, 10 out of 10. The gospel is a gospel that commands and requires a response. Have you ever had people deliver news to you that is essentially meaningless, it's inane, or there's no action required on your part? Like, hey, thanks for that news that the average paperclip manufacturer in the world is 1.25 inches long. Thank you. That has no relevance for my life for the next week. But not so with the gospel. There's this final feature of the gospel that I want to present to us tonight, and that is that the gospel both commands and requires a response. There's a sense in which gently, lovingly, we push on those to whom we've shared the gospel and we basically say, now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to this great news? And there are only two gospel graces in response to it, to the good news of the gospel. Faith and repentance. Turning to Christ and away from ourselves, our sin and our own determination or our determination to have our own way apart from God. To live, as someone has said, as mercenaries. And to be precise, the call to those who hear the gospel to respond with faith and repentance, that call is not classically what we say is the gospel, but it's the response that God requires to the gospel. And I'm not here to debate what comes first, repentance or faith. I tend to think that you can argue, I'm not going to give you my final answer, but I do have one that I probably slightly prefer before the other. I just find a hard time believing that there's any repentance apart from the gift of faith. Okay. And so Paul and Peter and their preaching reflect this final truth that the gospel commands and requires a response. It's Peter that's preaching at Pentecost, and he says, 
In his final part of the message, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And Luke records a scene. He says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of God. Of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul is preaching on Mars Hill there in Athens. And it says, and he says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that this the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Listen to that. He's, he's not requesting. We, it's not God is requesting, perhaps, so I suppose maybe it would be good for you to repent. It says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And then Paul in Romans ten seventeen, it's just very simple as we think that the gospel is a gospel that commands and requires a response. Here's what he says. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Ten features, ten distinctives of the gospel for us over two weeks. I want to ask you a question as we close this just extremely briefly. Do you pray for the preaching of the gospel from this pulpit? Do you pray that for whoever preaches here will faithfully, biblically, passionately preach the gospel as though, as men who could be characterized as dying men who are preaching to a dying people. Right now, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for the moment that you feel that because it's true. We pray that you feel that, but the gospel is something to, be, to believe. It's the message that God has given by which we must be saved. And so I want to close just in short reference to Paul's words, and we'll close with this from Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, look, let me remind you of the gospel I preached to you and he's going to say there's two features to it, right? But he says, I preached it to you, you received it, you stand in it, and, and it is by this gospel that you're being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. The gospel is word. The gospel is the word of a crucified and risen Christ. He says, unless you believe in vain. And then he, he gives the content of that in the, in the next part. But here's my question. He speaks of Christ dying for our sins according to the scriptures, of being buried and being raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I ask, do you believe? 
I'm not asking if you can recite a set of theological propositions about the gospel. But can you say with the Heidelberg Catechism, my only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is my hope in life and death. I have no other. That is what it means to believe the gospel. And I invite you today, if you hear his voice, harden not. Do not harden your heart, but come to him, the one who receives sinners. That's the message of the gospel. That is really, really 